Joshua Kagi from The Christian Citizen, and this is episode 40 of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Today, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, founder of the Lakelands Institute, joins Christian Citizen editor Curtis Ramsey Lucas for a conversation on trends to watch in 2021. Here now is Curtis Ramsey Lucas. I'm pleased to welcome back to the podcast the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, friend and colleague in the faith politics communication space and the founder of the Lakeland Institute, which defines itself as a consortium of visionary pastors, coaches, and community builders who offer wisdom, experience, and practical know-how to church leaders who recognize the ministry has forever changed. Stephen is also a contributing Christian citizen author and serves on the advisory council for the publication. His latest article is Seven Trends to Watch in 2021, about which we're going to talk today. But first, Stephen, welcome back. It's good to have you. Hey, I, you know, this is, this is a real pleasure to be back uh, so soon. I really appreciate it, Kurt. Before we uh, talk about the article, tell me what's new with you and the Lakelands Institute. What are you focusing on these days? I think that, you know, the original uh, impetus for the organization um, has shifted a little bit because uh, we're very much at home with uh, with online ministry these days. We're looking toward getting back into our buildings and what that would be like. But the big issue doesn't go away. And the big issue is that... Um, Church is changing. It's uh, it's changing rapidly. It's changing fundamentally, and I am putting together and assembling. And I've got some really you know big announcements uh, that I'm making right now. Some I can talk about, some I can't. But uh, a bringing together of uh, some of the sharpest minds in the church today. Uh, to help guide organizations through these changes. Um, it's a really exciting time to be in ministry if it's not completely terrifying at the same time. As the uh, coronavirus vaccine rollout continues, as the number of infections and deaths decline, when it becomes possible to gather again safely, you suggest that one trend that will continue is the decline in number of persons attending in-person worship, uh, that we're not going to see a return to pre-pandemic numbers. Talk a little bit about how the experience of the past year uh, worshiping online and such is relevant here. Um, I think it's intensely relevant. Um, I don't think that I measure the my statement about the decline of the church as being something that um, is because of, uh, or I say decline of church attendance on Sunday morning as being a, a direct relationship between uh, the pandemic and, and what we're dealing with. I actually would have said that without a pandemic. I would have said that we can all count on there being fewer people in the pews. It's just been a reality over the last, I don't know, uh, 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, um Things are changing and uh, society is changing. And um, it, w as it happens, the pandemic has exacerbated uh, and magnified some of those changes. So um, 
I, as, as there has been a, um, a shift in, in retail life, I know up here in this area, Lord and Taylor's, the, the, uh, venerable, uh, department store chain, it's out of business. It's gone. Uh, one could argue that it's been on its way out for a long time, that that model of retailing has been supplanted by other ways of selling things. And, um, uh, but it, you know, the, the pandemic finally kind of put the, put the lid on it. Uh, likewise, uh, I think that the pandemic has caused us, has given us kind of a, a pause in, uh, in, in how we did church on a weekly basis and didn't really think about it all that critically. Um, the, the pandemic has forced us to think about that critically. And I am convinced that with all crises come great opportunities and we have to, um, we have to be as, as people of faith, we have to be looking toward that, uh, that hope and that, um, uh, those opportunities rather than lamenting a model of, of church that I think is, is slipping away, even though, uh, congregations, um, are reopening their sanctuaries to a certain degree. Do you think it's possible, at least initially, um, that we'll see the opposite? Um, we'll see a spike in return to in-person worship, uh, given the need for connectedness and community that that offers. Um, I think back to the days and weeks after September 11th, when we saw this initial kind of surge and folks coming uh, to worship. It didn't last uh, very long, but do you think we'll see something of that kind uh, post-pandemic whenever that I would love to see that. I would would Mm. hope with all my heart because there's a, there are things in our, in our, in our uh, ways of doing church for 2000 years that are good. You know, uh, we don't want to see them go away. We don't want to see um, a kind of a disembodied Christianity that exists on the internet only and doesn't uh, actually connect us as human beings. There is a reason why our theologies come together in saying that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine, uh, that the incarnation is, is this melding uh, of, of spirit, spirit and flesh. Um, we need the flesh. We need, that's part of the human experience. I'd love to see that happen. But like 9-11, I, I remember how that unfolded. I, you know, I, 9-11 happened and my sanctuary was completely full. I mean, beyond anything that it had been. And it was, there was such a spirit in the sanctuary when that took place, just a, a powerful sense of mourning and togetherness. And we all needed each other, but like, um, like the, the, the dysfunctional family that, um, uh, won't speak to each other until everybody gathers together at the funeral home. When the patriarch passes away, it, it does, it's, there's a good feeling there for a while. There's a, there's a spirit of togetherness that, that quickly fades. And I do think that this pandemic, that, you know, we've been dealing with for over a year now. Um, I, I think it's teaching us a lot about, um, about how we feel about each other and how we want to be together. But at the same time, we've learned that we can also connect with people in ways that we couldn't, or, or we could actually, but we just didn't think about it before we had to. And, um, 
and therefore I think that uh, my feeling is that the trends that have been headed that way for a long time are going to continue and we are going to move into the online space more and more, not as a replacement for all the ministries that we did, but as a new way of imagining those ministries. We've talked uh, previously about this kind of hybrid model of, of ministry. And it seems to me that there are certain aspects of what we do that make a lot of sense in a, in a virtual or online environment. For example, uh, a Bible study, a weekly Bible study that you would have normally tried to draw people to a building to do. We could do that on a platform like this and uh, maybe gather more people that way, or, or it's, it's more convenient for folks in their schedules to participate that way. And then perhaps we have, you know, a gathered worship at another time uh, that we are actually trying to bring people together. Do you see some, uh, possibilities there where we really invest in online for small group or other kinds of things, uh, as well as trying to gather in, in some safe way more broadly. I'll just say it this way. And I think this is a, uh, something that maybe, uh, you know, uh, this is a method of speaking to a Baptist here, so it may not go over real well, but, uh, uh, I was, um, uh, watching over the shoulder as a friend of mine who leads a large church in, in East Tennessee. Uh, he was staying at my house for a little while and, uh, he was leading his, um, uh, his, um, personnel committee, the staff parish relations committee meeting via zoom from my house. And, um, uh, and there was a, there was a word that went around the, the zoom room of, um, Hey, you know, our, our, um, are alcoholic beverages allowed in this uh, in this setting? And then uh, the the chair of the committee uh, picked up a, a wine glass from beside the screen and put it into view and said, "I sure hope so." <laughs> in other words, that was already happening. Um, it was an acknowledgement of something that was already taking place, um, and and therefore, you know, there are going to be. There are going to be ways that this transforms our understandings. Um, um, you know, I, I really am not sure how that illustration that I just threw at you fits into the question that you answered, but or that you asked. But I, but I do think that that's that was a kind of a key realization for me. Um, th- there is a, there is a melding of of home and spirit that takes place when we're on these zoom calls together. Um, and that that is, I I don't know if that's a reinterpretation of, of, um, of being together and online, uh, or, 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 you know, in-person ministry it, but I think it's a new possibility. It's a new, uh, it's a new way. Um, I, I just say all the time that we are, we have been in the state of a, uh, a complete communications revolution over the last 20 years. And to a degree, it, it's crept up on us slow enough that we hadn't really thought a whole lot about it. But uh, every, every way we interact as human beings is different from the way we did it just a few short years ago. Um, and, and church life has to start reflecting that and dealing with that. You also note in your article the continuation of social divisions. Uh, People will continue to take sides, and it will get worse before it gets better. You write that uh, pastors will need to contend with the necessity of loving those with whom they disagree. Uh, 
And you also caution that those who attempt to do this on their own will be consumed by it. Um, and that vital communities of clergy and church professionals who support each other will be essential. What does that look like, that kind of collegial support? Do you see that primarily happening at the local level or are there other forums in which it might take place, even as we're talking now? Yes. Um, short answer, yes. Um, the the interesting thing about this is is that, that social media, the, the communications revolution that I just referred to, has really uh, forced us to be more tribal than ever. Um, it has given us the opportunity to be more tribalistic than we ever, uh, you know, have been since you know in the last many years. And the church is the la- is the is the still the place in in our lives where we sit down together and share a meal with, um, with those whom we disagree with and that we have grand differences with. Um, and so, therefore, that that role of church is is. I would argue more critical, more, more needed than, than ever. But, um, but it is, um, it is, there's no mystery that we are in a, we're in an amazingly divided and dangerously divided time. Um, and therefore pastors, I think have to, um, have to, to deal with this. Now, how, how do we deal with it? Um, is it by, uh, by becoming uh, prophets, uh, John the Baptist, who's standing at the riverside, uh, yelling and screaming, "Repent and and change your ways." Is it is it that? Is it uh, to be to be one hundred percent pastoral? So we are only caring about uh, the needs of our people and our community, and and, and soothing over those uh, those kinds of differences. Um, either path will devour us, I believe. Um, if we are only pastoral, then we are taking our hands off of leadership in the things that matter most in this divided time. If we are only prophetic, then we're throwing gasoline on a fire that's already burning. And therefore, the opportunities for us to be consumed by either of those two paths is really, really, I think at a very dangerous level. And therefore, I just, I don't know the answer. I really don't. But I do believe that the only way we're going to get through this is with each other. Those of us who are faced with the same challenges every Sunday and every day of the week are going to have to find ways to be in community together. And 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 thankfully, you know, the, the Zoom call and the Zoom happy hour may be, the, may be the hope of the church right now because it can connect us in ways that... Uh, we really required uh, to it, it required us to be in person and whether that takes place on a community level or a regional level or a worldwide level, I think is yet uh, to be seen. Uh, I think that is yet to emerge. You mentioned in the article, one of the trends is this need to produce daily content, daily content. Online. Got it. Um, to move ahead. Yeah. So, so I don't know what that, you know, I don't know what that definition of vitality really looks like, but we know we need vital congregations. So um, when I say move ahead, I mean, maintaining a congregation of people who uh, grow in discipleship together, uh, grow in their, in their, in their discipleship uh, and encourage each other and, and empower each other and teach each other that when we do that, we're going to have to be doing that in a way that we haven't been able to do it 
that we haven't gotten away with in the past. And, and, and I think there has always been a, a kind of a critique of the model of the Sunday Christian um, where we go and we we're on our best behavior uh, when, when we're in the church building, but then we go out and do whatever we want uh, during the week. And I think that's always been a critique of clergy um, because everything is available to everybody at the same time these days, we're going to have to meet that need as well. So uh, when we order something on uh, uh, online and, and we see uh, Amazon, uh, at least in the cities, I think has reduced uh, the time of delivery for some items. You know, first it was a, you know, it was a miracle because it was free shipping, but it took three two or three days. And then, you know, it was free overnight shipping. Oh my gosh. And now there's certain things that I can order where uh, it tells me that it'll be on my doorstep before I wake up in the morning. Um, and, and then even, even quicker than that in some cases. Um, it is not that we have to deliver, you know, packages and develop an infrastructure uh, overnight, but clearly this is, we, we are less patient as a people. And when we, as clergy leaders are able to, to speak, it out to to deliver some piece of inspiration that is fresh and new and different slightly from the thing we did yesterday. I do believe that that is going to be a necessity in connecting people um, as they go forward into their week. And therefore, I think I really do think that uh, that those of us who uh, are able to to sit down and spend, you know, five minutes and uh, talking to our phone and sharing some piece of wisdom, uh, we're going to be ahead of those who who leave that to others to deliver. In sharing the article, um, we've gotten some interesting response, quite a bit of, of dialogue about the trends. And one of these was a little bit of a sticking point with clergy, uh, many of whom feel fatigued by the transition to online worship and keeping up with all that and having to adapt in ways they've had to over the past year um, and trying to maintain some semblance of real community when people are as physically distant and separated as they are. So I guess my my question is, um, for those folks who feel overwhelmed and maybe a little burned out, is this adding to that kind of sense of fatigue to say, well, you've got to be doing this uh, every day? I sure, yeah, I, I hear that. I I yeah. get it. Um, uh, I am very sensitive to that, um, and and that's why I say it with caution and care. Um, I know that clergy and church professionals are really overwhelmed and there are challenges that are being faced with that, that really, you know, you, you weren't trained, uh, in seminary to cut video. Um, uh, one of the problems that has arisen, uh, in a, in a conversation online that I've been a part of is, uh, that even when you, um, uh, if you need a Sunday off, uh, if you get somebody to preach for you, well, that's easy. They can send in a, you can, you can get anybody from around the world to preach your sermon and send it in to you. But you still have to get it edited. And if you don't have a staff of people who are able to insert that 
message into uh, the rest of the service. You have so many pastors are still having to do that. So you really haven't gotten any time off. And that's um, that is a that is a real thing. Uh, the burden of of providing these resources all the time is um is real. However, there are also very, very simple ways that one can uh, can provide content that will satisfy the need, and that's I think something that I'm very interested in um, in talking about with people more and more. Such as, you know, why does everything that we do have to be video? I mean, I'm not that good to look at. Um, you are, Kurt, but not me. Uh, I don't need to have my face on the screen f- to get the point across. My voice and my thoughts and, and those kinds of things are good enough, just like, you know, writing a devotional or something like that is enough. But these days, you know, there are some apps that we can put on our phone that take tiny pieces of content, record them right there, and then we hit send and boom, they are out there for the world to, um, uh, to, to find. And there are some, some small things that we can do to create content for people on a regular basis that really don't add to that burden. One of my great inspirations in this work that I've been involved in uh, um, uh, the, the last few months is a guy named Buddy Pierce. I like to say, and I think I might have said this in the last recording, that um, I I could run into Buddy any place in the world, and I'd know who he was. I would know uh, what his name was, and I'd recognize him in an instant because he wakes up every single morning, does his devotional, and then he turns on his phone and delivers a few thoughts about that every single morning. So his face is at the top of my Facebook feed every time when I get up and that he's got, he's a, he's got a small church in Independence, Virginia, and he has hundreds and thousands of, uh, of, of viewers, listeners, you know, on a regular basis. And it doesn't take him more than about five, six, seven minutes to deliver. Uh, and it's part of his spiritual routine anyway. So what I'd like to challenge people when we talk about developing daily content, it doesn't have to be the quality of the morning of the Sunday morning sermon. It's not like writing a new thing and, and, and delivering it, you know, from the pulpit every day. It's just finding simple ways to connect with people through technology that are on demand that help fill the need that people have on a regular basis. So they don't have to wait until Sunday to be fed. That's really all that I'm saying. I I was thinking about this too, you know, the, uh, the, the whole three R's of recycling, right? Reduce, recycle, reuse, you know, I think there are ways to take even, even a a sermon and, and break something out of that that might be posted in advance of the sermon or coming out of the sermon the following week, things of that kind. So we can kind of repackage 
what we're doing. We're not, it's not always something new every single time. I mean, we do that here with, with what we publish and we talk about it and we have a podcast and all that. So. Yeah. Without question. I mean, there's a, there's a million ways to repurpose some of that content. Um, and, and I think that's maybe, maybe where the burnout piece comes into mind. You know, we are burned out, we're tired and, t- and that kind of thing affects our ability to see the possibilities and to create and be creative. And, and again, this is why we, we can, it, by being in community together um, as leaders, we can, we can help solve some of that uh, feeling like we just are at the end of our rope, I, I believe. And as you just mentioned, the possibilities for reaching an audience far beyond what you would be accustomed to uh, in your local congregation or community are, are pretty immense. I, they are, um, I just don't. Okay. So, so here's an example. Um, I have experimented with my partner in creating a a small YouTube channel in which we share recipes. Okay. So everybody's doing a cooking blog or something like that these days. We're, we're right in there with it. We, um, we had we we we've tried to be regular about developing new episodes. We have fun with it and everything, but it's really just a kind of a fun side project. Well, it's exciting when you put a video up and you get fifty views and you get a hundred views. You know, uh, wow, you know, two hundred views. But it's it's not really enough to kind of make you want to keep going. So we were doing this week after week and and um, uh, putting a lot of energy into it, but not really seeing those numbers get up to very you know more than than a couple of hundred views so we basically kind of went to sleep we didn't we didn't worry about it we went through the christmas holidays and uh, didn't really pay attention to it and and kind of put it to bed you know but then after christmas one night i was just kind of flipping through my phone and i looked at the at the little scorekeeper that i have for that youtube channel and it said you know we've got a few more views here and there but i looked up at the top and it said it had 1800 subscribers i said what wait how did i get that no that doesn't add up there's no way that i could have gotten 1800 subscribers and i thumbed down you know i scrolled down to the very bottom of the list and one video we had done had 75,000 views okay now Obviously, that changed the game and we're back to trying to make videos on a fairly regular basis again, because, you know, it's it, it, it you're glad people. Hear, but but this is this is the capacity we have now with ministry. Men, people are hungry for the gospel as they always have been. But. It it doesn't seem to me to be good stewardship of our lives when we. Um, serve a church and 30 people attend that church to listen to us, to be part of that congregation when we, at the very same time, and again, the access to this technology is ubiquitous. Everybody has it. Everybody can do it. If you have the ability to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out to 75,000 people, why not do it? And that's really been a very, very powerful um, uh, 
illustration to me. And yeah, it takes work. It's, it's, you know, that's only one of our, you know, 10 videos it's, that's done well. Um, but still, you know, if, if 10 people, if you're creating audio content on your phone that people in your church can access and you only have 10 listeners, uh, on a regular basis, that's still 10 people that your words and your ministry is, is reaching on a regular basis. And that even in and of itself is, is worth doing, but then it's infinitely scalable. So I think it's something we have to pay attention to. Indeed. Stephen, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. It is my pleasure. Uh, I think you can tell that this stuff's important to me. Amen. I want to encourage our listeners to read Stephen's latest Christian Citizen article, Seven Trends to Watch in 2021 at christiancitizen.us. While there, sign up to receive our free newsletter for weekly notification of new content we're publishing and articles of interest from elsewhere. Thanks for listening. Take good care and be well. At The Christian Citizen, we're passionate about justice, mercy, faith. We produce award-winning content that is provocative, timely, and relevant. What started 25 years ago as a print publication is now a digital-first publication that maintains a commitment to print. More recently, we've added a weekly e-newsletter, this podcast, and a growing presence on social media. Now, for the first time, we're adding a member support program, Christian Citizen Ambassadors. Learn more about how you can support our work at christiancitizen.us slash members. Thank you to this week's guest, Reverend Stephen D. Martin. Our theme music is Eye of the Beholder by Fabian Tell. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Kagi. Stories are copy edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagray, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and the Reverend Cassandra Karkoff Williams. And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMickle, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about the Christian Citizen, visit our website, christiancitizen.us. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. We'll be back with two new episodes next week. Thanks for listening.